You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Um, let's waste no time. Let's just get into the show here. Uh, it might be a little bit short of a show, and um, we're going to be uh, hammering with a, uh, a lot of information. And just want to kind of touch on where the Packers are as a team right now, got a few PFF grades. Want to kind of look at the team as a whole um, after this uh, this three game saturation here early in the 2022 campaign, and then we're going to kind of look ahead to the New England Patriots. We were going to do a chalk talk episode tonight, um, today rather, but uh, the reason that we didn't was because the All 22 isn't out yet. I could have you know stitched some stuff together um, that would have. Uh, allowed us to look at the TV copy, that type of thing. But I've got a couple of plays in mind. i got to choose between the two, and I want to make sure we get the All-22 so we can really break that down in uh, in a detailed manner. So we're going to wait and do that on Thursday's show. And then, um, of course, just to give you guys a heads up, I'm going to be heading out of town this weekend. So uh, there won't be a Saturday show. And the post-game show, Jacob's going to take the lead on that um, uh, immediately following the New England Patriots game. And I'm going to try to call in and join in on that myself. I'll actually be up in uh, the Hudson Valley, up uh, around the Sleepy Hollow, New York area. Uh, anybody who knows me, uh, any uh, any amount whatsoever, I'm kind of a, a big history nerd. And I also uh, absolutely love the fall, love the Halloween setting. And the wife surprised me with the trip up there to uh, the small little vi- village of Sleepy Hollow, about 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes north of Manhattan. So, we're going to go up there and spend a week and get away a little bit, but hopefully, like I said, I can kind of uh, chime in on the postgame show and, and Jacob's going to hold down the fort for us there. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what the week's going to look like. Like I said, we'll get you a Chalk Talk episode and it's looking like it might be a Romeo Dobbs play, which is really, really exciting because, man, as he emerged as one of the, uh, the big surprises for this year. But uh, let's do this. Let's not waste any time. I just want to kind of talk about where are the Packers right now and uh and kind of look at some individual PFF grades real quick. Uh, you know, I know Ryan was breaking down on his show um, there the the last day or two, um, you know, the PFF grades from the Tampa Bay game. But what I wanted to do is kind of look at it from, you know, the season the season as a whole so far and kind of you start to see the big picture come into play and, and who's playing consistent. And that's what I love so much about the PFF grades is, it, you know, I seen a conversation that Ryan was having with some listeners on Twitter, and it was a great conversation, all great questions, great points on, on all sides, just talking about, you know, how Quay Walker graded out kind of low in this Tampa Bay game. Um, actually extremely low. And, you know, one of the listeners pointed out, well, I mean, he, he forced that fumble. Does that not count? Absolutely it counts. It just counts as one play. And, you know, it was, well, I, I kind of feel like that, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here and I don't want to put words into the listener's mouth, but, uh, he, you know, he kind of pointed it out that like, I feel like, you know, he should have a higher grade than that. I mean, that was a huge impact play and absolutely it was. But when you, you know, what I like about PFF is to me, it's the closest thing to a grading system that's that's very comparable to how the coaches grade out the players. And when you sit in those meeting rooms, I guarantee you they didn't look up at Quay and go, man, that was a great play on that forced fumble, Quay. Forget everything else you did wrong. Um, man, you had a great game because you made that one play. And I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, asinine or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Like, they're going to look at it like, hey, look, that's one great play. Yeah. But all of the other negative things that come with it, it's a whole different ballgame. Now, I'm not saying that Quay had that negative of a game. I, like you guys know, I don't always agree with PFF. I think it is the most trusted source, in my opinion. I, I haven't found anything else that's that's as good, as detailed as they do. I haven't had a chance to watch the tape because, as you guys can imagine, with the trip coming up, I'm cr- trying to cram in so much freaking business this week. I'm trying to do, you know, what feels like 12 days worth of work in the in the two or three so we can get, get ready to fly out. But um, I'm excited about maybe on the flight if I can get a downloaded copy of the All-22 kind of sitting back and, 
and watching uh, Quay a little closer and see what he did wrong. It, it sounds like he he did have a, a pretty bad game from a schematic standpoint, and obviously PFF really really keys on the, in on that stuff as well. But let's do this. So we've got three weeks so far, right? We got the Minnesota game, the Chicago game, and the Tampa Bay game, right? And I'm just going to kind of give you overall team grades here as according to PFF first, all right? The Minnesota game, overall, the team graded out as a 55.8. The Chicago Bears game, they bounced back huge with an 81.8 overall team grade. And then the Tampa Bay game, they settle in at a 72.5. Now, obviously, the Minnesota game was just hot garbage, right? There's no way of getting around it. You know, it was one of the worst performances I've seen by the Green Bay Packers in, in the history of my fandom of the team. Um, now, Chicago, you bounce back, but, of course, Chicago is a bad team. I know they beat Houston again, but that's like, you know, saying that you uh, – um, I don't want to say anything inappropriate. Um, let's just say Chicago isn't isn't the best – or uh, Houston isn't the best of teams, right? Um, they got Dougie Davis Mills there at, at the helm, and, and although I don't think he's a horrible quarterback, he's definitely not a Tom Brady or – or not anybody like that, that, you know, the Chicago just hasn't really played anybody yet. And, and I was hearing people talk about their schedule coming up and they got a, at least one more cupcake, maybe a couple more before their schedule starts to amp up a little bit. So they're liable to get off to a real heart, uh, hot start, hot, hot start and then collapse there towards the end of the year. I could totally see that happening. And that's kind of what Chicago does. Right. But, um, in the Tampa game, bouncing back to a 72.5 Tampa is a good team. And I know they were banged up as were we, but hearing people talk about this defense like they're not a good defense is just – I don't understand that. I really don't. Uh, I, I mean, I, you you look at it on paper, it's a stout defense. You look at it on film, it's a stout defense. They gave the Packers running game all they wanted. And and it's easy to just say, okay, well, you know, the the, the running game should have been better than it was. Okay, that that's a very blanket statement, right? But the fact is Tampa Bay Buccaneers came out and shut it down for the most part. And, and do I wish we would have stuck with the run more? Absolutely I do. I really do. But there's a reason they didn't, and it's because of the pre-snap looks they were getting and, and the things that were going on that we may, don't necessarily see just watching the telecast, right? So, um, so again, let's just kind of look at the Tampa Bay game here. Overall, 72.5. Offensive grade, a 68.0. Passing grade, 69.1. Pass blocking, 59.9. That's real bad. That that looked a lot like the Minnesota pass blocking game. It really did. Um, receiving grade seventy one point eight. Not not bad, but definitely took a step back from the Chicago game. Uh, run blocking fifty three point one. I mean, that's almost as bad as the Minnesota game. Now, here's where the parallel is drawn. What was the knock on the Minnesota game? We didn't run the ball enough. The running backs had great grades, right? They graded out a seventy six point five in the Minnesota game, but the run blocking grade fifty point five. That's probably why we didn't run the ball a little bit more. Those are the things that we might not see unless you're really, really keen in on the offensive line and watching a multiple saturation of snaps as far as from start to finish, right, on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, the fact that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it was a 53.1 run blocking grade kind of tells me it was the same type of situation. There was things that Aaron was seeing, things that LaFleur was seeing that they didn't like in the running game, so they tried to steer away from it a little bit as much as they could. What I love about it is I think they managed the game pretty darn well. I mean, when you come away with a W down in Tampa in that heat against that solid defense, I mean, that defense, guys, uh, you know, I had the points per game pulled up, and I wish I'd have left it up. I believe Tampa is number one in points per game. They've only given up like nine points per game. And I know they played Dallas, uh, you know, and, and obviously in that game, Dak Prescott goes down. The game plan goes completely out the window. I get that. And I believe their week two matchup wasn't a, a big stellar opponent either. But, I mean, you you're, you are only as good as your record suggests you are, just like you're only as bad as your record suggests you are, right? And when I say record, I mean, yes, winning wins and losses, but also – it's about scoring points, and that's what cracks me up about all these different defensive statistics, and everybody's got their own. They got their favorite. And I'm like, every time I see these statistics, yeah, they're all important, but when someone tries to act like, you know, uh, one one uh, specific stat column is more important than, in, than another, I'm going, hold up a minute. Like, when did we start determining whether a team wins or not by total yards? When did we start determining that? Yeah, like, I thought it – came down to points scored. Well, they they might have had a short field and that that skews the point. Okay, that's football. Don't you want to factor that in? That's just kind of how I look at that, um, you know, in that regard. 
But, uh, again, Tampa was a solid team, man, in my opinion. So, um, on the defensive side of the ball, 68.7. The run defense for the Packers was a 60.1. Uh, 60 the tackle grade was a 79.4, guys. In week one against Minnesota, 36.4 tackle grade. In week two against the Chicago Bears, 37.1 tackle grade. In week three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 79.4. You can tell they put strong emphasis on tackling better against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that right there was the highest grade across the board for the Green Bay Packers from a team standpoint. That's probably what won on the game. They never let LaFleur uh, or they, they never let Fournette get loose, right? And whenever a catch was made, you didn't see them breaking tackles. They they were very, very fundamentally sound when it came to tackling the ball carrier there on Sunday against Tampa. And it's probably the biggest factor. Now, another thing that stands out here, well, let's go across the board here. 66.5 pass rush grade. That's kind of on par with where they were at against Minnesota. Obviously, it jumped up to an 82.9 with that horrible offensive line there with the Chicago Bears. But uh yeah, it kind of took a step back. So we're kind of seeing them settle in in the upper 60s right now as far as pass rush grade. Coverage grade, 68.1. Um, that was down quite a bit from the Chicago Bears game. But, again, it's easy to cover receivers when you know you got Justin Fields back there who's throwing dead ducks every single time he drops back to pass, if indeed they trust him enough to do that. I mean, you've seen it again this week. Chicago won against Houston, but Justin Fields played absolutely horrible. He's looking more and more like a bus every single week that goes by. But here's the grade I really want to key in on. Special teams. Against Minnesota, 48.3. Against the Chicago Bears, 54.5. Slight improvement. We said, hey, man, we're getting better, right? Against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 68.9. I have never been more excited about a PFF grade in the 60s since I've you know discovered PFF. Like, this is freaking awesome because this is the type of game that you needed your special teams to step up. This wasn't like a special teams uh, slot play game, right? Where you're just, you're kind of sopping it up with a biscuit. This is gravy train. They got a horrible special teams. It wasn't a close game. You just kind of made made some plays when it really didn't matter. No, the special teams, in my opinion, was the reason we won this game. Obviously the defense, you know, right there with it, but without the stellar special teams play, without Pat O'Donnell, without everything that, that occurred from a special team standpoint, I don't think we beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So seeing that improve week in and week out, and these players really start to settle into their roles when it comes to special teams is very, very exciting for me. So let's do this. Let's move on to individual grades. And again, this isn't keyed in on just the Tampa Bay game. I want to kind of let you guys know, here's what the players look like throughout the season so far. So we get an idea of, okay, who's really playing well, who's coming into their own, that type of thing. At the top of the list, the highest graded defensive player, we'll start on the defensive side of the ball, the highest graded defensive player for the Green Bay Packers so far this year in three games is Kenny Clark, 85.6. And again, his run defense grade, only a 54.3, but the pass rush grade, 91.0. Guys, Kenny Clark has basically been perfect in the pass rush game. And there's plenty of snaps there, 129 stat snaps. To me, it looks like he might be the fourth highest on the team in snaps, only behind a bunch of DBs, right? So, um, yeah, again, overall defensive grade, 85.6. And and I pointed this out the other day. I mean, the fact that he's only he, – he's not even 27 years old yet, and he's under contract. And he's really settling into this new role where he lost the weight. You know, he trimmed down, cut down weight. It's obvious that what they said is, hey, look, we want you to get after the quarterback this year, and he's doing it successfully. Now, it's also important to mention that from the defensive line standpoint in the entire National Football League, Kenny Clark is ranked sixth as far as defensive PFF grade. That's very, very exciting to me. Number two on the defense, Rasul Douglas. Rasul Douglas is coming in at 14th of 102 at his position. And a 74.7 run defense grade is horrible, 28.9. But, man, that coverage grade, 86.5. It really plays into what I was saying the other day on the pod that it just seems like Joe Barry is saying, forget the run, Russell, really key in on coverage in the slot and be ready to attack underneath, but not not do not bite on the run. It's almost like they're prioritizing from that slot position. Hey, look, we really, really, really – want you to key in on the pass. Now, there was times I heard that Rasul lined up outside. Again, I haven't watched the tape yet. 
I'm eager to go look at that there against Tampa Bay because obviously Jair Alexander goes out of the game. You've seen Keyshawn Nixon. It seemed like he was in the slot, but there's a lot of movement in, in the heat of the battle. It's hard to pick that stuff up, especially the, the one thing that sucks about doing a post-game show this year is I do not have the freedom to just rewind and play back in real time because I've got to take notes and be prepared for the post-game show. And in the past, I mean, that 4.30 kickoff, I know the game's over at roughly 7.30, but if I wasn't doing a post-game show, I would still be watching the game till probably 9 o'clock because I do that much rewinding and going back and watching plays in real time, that type of thing. So I'm just a nerd when when it comes to that. But, again, Rasul Douglas so far this season, 74.7, having a solid year. Third is Jair Alexander at a 72.4. Obviously, he got hurt. Um, haven't heard anything on the injury front there. It sounds like it's not, not too serious, but, I mean, the fact that he came out of the game early, didn't go back in, sounded like uh, they definitely wanted to, to be very, very safe there. His coverage grade, 77.3. Uh, his defensive snaps, <clears throat> 109. So, significantly – uh, behind Russell Douglas, Russell Douglas, as far as snaps, you know, Russell coming in with 130 total defensive snaps and uh, Jair with 109. But still, you know, 100, 100 snaps, 110 snaps is a, a good, good sample size there. Now, coming in fourth, Kingsley and Igbar, um only got 37 snaps, so still grading out at a 71.8. And then you got Devondre Campbell coming in at a 69.8, but that coverage grade 79.0. That is very, very uh, very good coverage grade there for Devondre Campbell. And again, I said on the post-game show, I'll say it again, it was so awesome to see him bat that two-point conversion down to get the Packers the dub there um, late in the game, uh, just basically to seal it to, as Wayne Larravee says, uh, give you your dagger. Um, man, it was just absolutely awesome. So um, let's do this now. Let's go and uh, let's look ahead to the New England Patriots. All right, and I just want to kind of take a quick glance. Well, you know what? Before we do that, let's uh, let's take a second right here and go ahead and take us a uh, a quick break. Let's get that out of the way, and then we're going to finish strong and kind of give you guys an idea. I didn't do a full game plan on the New England Patriots, but we're just going to kind of give you a broad perspective on what to expect um, when it comes to playing the Patriots. What do they do well? Maybe what's their weakness? How do they stack up against the rest of the NFL? Because, you know, you, one side you hear people say the New England Patriots are a horrible team. On the other side you hear people say that they're elite. I think they're right there in between, to be honest with you. But uh, we'll take a little bit deeper look into that. But first, like I said, let's take us a quick commercial break. All right. So the New England Patriots. Um, let's kind of do the same format that we just did with the Green Bay Packers. Um the first three games of the season, their overall grade as a team against the Miami Dolphins in week one, they obviously lost that game, I think, 20-7. to seven. Uh, Their overall grade in that game was a 67.5. Um, week two was at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They come away with the win there, 17-14. to 14. Their overall grade was a 71.7, with the highlight of that game being their special teams. I do want to mention this, that the Miami game, special teams, 74.0, so – um, Bill Belichick doing what he's always done, which is uh, really, really, really putting emphasis on all three phases of the game. There's a lot of coaches that talk about that stuff, and it's really – it's all fluff. It's all talk. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just something that Bill Belichick takes very, very serious. Um, Baltimore Ravens in week three, um, they obviously lost that game. Mack left the game with a high ankle sprain. We'll talk about that here in a second. But they lost that game 37-26. to 26. And the overall grade there for the New England Patriots to get the Baltimore Ravens was a 61.6. You can kind of see how they really, really fell off there from the 71.7 against the Pittsburgh Steelers the week before. Now, when you look at their last game there against the Baltimore Ravens, what went wrong? Right? Actually, let's look at the Steelers game because Mac Jones leaving the game kind of throws everything into turmoil, right? Um, and the Pittsburgh Steelers game is, is by far the best game they've put together. So let's see what they did really, really well in that win right there. Um, overall, 71.7. Their offensive grade was a 69.0. Their pass grade was a 50.7. Pass blocking grade was a 70.9. Uh, receiving grade, 67.9. Their run blocking – or running grade, I should say, 73.4. Their run blocking grade, a 73.0. Uh, defensive grade, 68.2. Run defense, 67.3. Tackling grade, 75.1. Really, really showed up. It kind of looks like an anomaly when you compare their other tackling scores. Uh, they're the Miami game, 62.5. 
Baltimore Ravens of 52.4. Pass rush in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 63.4. Their better pass rush game actually came against the Miami Dolphins at a 72.8. And then coverage, 64.8 against the Steelers. Um, They had a 44.1 against the Dolphins at a 51.4 against the Baltimore Ravens. I'll talk a little bit here in a second about the player that I feel like is is really, really good in their defensive secondary, but outside of him, it really kind of drops off, in my opinion. Um, special teams, again, Pittsburgh Steelers, 77.5. Guys, you're talking about a three-point game there, a three-point win at Pittsburgh. Special teams won on the game. So I, if this were last year and looking at these special teams grades, I'd be a little bit concerned, like, oh, man, we're really outmatched on special teams. It's probably going to cost us this game. Not this year. This year you're seeing the, the Packers special teams improve every single week, and let's hope they keep that trend up. So that's kind of how the New England Patriots team grade stacks up. Okay, so now let's go to um, what have they done um, as far as uh, PFF individual grades. You know what? Let me bounce back real quick because one thing I didn't hit on with Green Bay was the offensive players. Let me do that real quick because I really, really meant to do that. Um, from an offensive standpoint, the Green Bay Packers, the top five performers up to this point, and I apologize for bouncing around, but I totally skipped over that. I had it in my notes here too. Um, I told you I am completely lost this week. Everything is is spinning, and I'm just trying to get everything together before we head out. But uh, Randall Cobb leads the way for the Green Bay Packers. Um, 12th at his position, grades out of the 77.6, his receiving grades 79.8, just having a solid start to this year. And, and I said it at the beginning of the year, and I, you guys know I'm a Kentucky fan, right? I, I absolutely love Kentucky Wildcats. I root for them when they get to the NFL especially. But Randall Cobb, you know, that was his first year in the system last year. Now he's acclimated to the system, got a full offseason of, of him kind of taking the majority of the snaps at the receiver position. He's got a limited amount of snaps, only 82 snaps so far. They, they definitely get him on a snap count. But, man, that receiving grade, 79.8. Cobb, you look good on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, number two, Aaron Jones, 77.0. His run grade, 83.0. Pass blocking grade, 81.8. Receiving grade, 60.4, which nobody looks at anything he's done receiving-wise and thought he had a bad game. He looks solid, but PFF – Obviously found a few things he can improve on. But, uh, again, he's fifth of all running backs, overall offensive grade um, of all halfbacks. He is fifth in the entire National Football League as far as, you know, highest graded out. Uh, Coming in number three is Aaron Rodgers, 74.9 offensive grade, passer rating or passing grade of 73.8, and he's seventh right now as far as highest graded quarterbacks. You can see the quarterback plays down quite a bit. Uh, in this early uh, saturation of the uh, NFL season. Romeo Dobbs Dobbs coming in at number four, 73.7. He is the 21st highest graded wide receiver in the entire National Football League. What that says, guys, is he is starter worthy. When you're in that top 32 in the entire league, it tells you he is a starting caliber wide receiver. 73.7 is receiving grade a 70. 1.6. 1.6. And what I really like is that run blocking grade, 68.8. He's willing to do it for the running game as well. Um, A.J. Dillon comes in at number five, and uh, he is grading out as a 72.4. Pass blocking grade, 83.0. Been very, very reliable as a pass blocker. And his running grade is a 73.6. And I think we need to mention it's only 30, 39 snaps, but Josiah DeGuara, 70.6. He grades out as number six for the Green Bay Packers. So, sorry I brushed over that. I just uh, I wanted to definitely go back and hit on that. I didn't mean to skip over it, but I'm glad we did. Just to kind of give you guys an idea, Here, here's our, these are the players that are performing well so far uh, here in the 2022 NFL season. Now, New England, what are we kind of looking for here, right? We talked about the team grades. We talked about what they did well. To me, uh, you know, the offensive grades been pretty steady, hovering right around 70. But, of course, with Mac Jones most likely not playing in this game, um, it's pretty much all but inevitable. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to play. Um, the thing that stands out to me the most on the offensive side of the ball for them from a team standpoint is their receiving grades, 72.6. They really improved that receiving core. So let's go into the individual PFF grades and see, okay, why have they graded out so high? What is it that stands out? What's the player we need to watch for? Well, there's two that come to mind when it comes to wide receivers. That's Kendrick Bourne at 84.2, having an excellent season so far. I think that actually grades out as an elite grade. 
um, and uh, only have 44 offensive snaps. And I don't even know, he may be hurt. I don't know why he's only got 44 offensive snaps. I probably need to look into that a little bit deeper. Uh, number two is Ramondre Stevenson, 76.4. Um, he is considered their backup running back. They've got a kind of a two-headed monster there with Damian, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. I think Ramondre Stevenson came out of Oklahoma, and I believe Damian Harris is an Alabama uh, product there. But number three, their offensive guard, Michael um, Owenu, 73.0. Pass blocking is definitely his specialty. Run blocking only a 67.7. Number four is the other receiver I was referring to, and that's Jacoby Myers. He's more of a slot receiver. Kendrick Bourne kind of plays the boundary a little bit more. Um, Jacoby Myers, though, a 72.9. His receiving grade was a 71.0. So those are the two receivers you're kind of looking to stop. Now, Devontae Parker's made some big plays in timely moments, but he's only graded down to 68.7. It's nothing great, but you can kind of see him. And they've got a pretty solid receiving core, and you see why those grades are pretty high. They're consistent. You know, Nelson Aguilar had a big a big screw-up in the game uh, on Sunday, um, fumbled a ball in a key moment but he's still grading out at a 67.8 on the season. So you've got four receivers there that really come out and play well um, for the uh, New England Patriots. But, again, it's not really going to matter if they're having to start um, their backup quarterback, right? It's, I mean, it's it's just not. Like you, if Mac Jones is not your starting quarterback there, then that receiving or that passing game is really going to struggle for the New England Patriots. So um, I, I think that from a game planning standpoint, without me drawing up a complete game plan like we usually do, because again, I'm going to be you know, out of town on Saturday. I didn't have time to, to really dive into it. I would think, man, we've really got to key in on the run against the Patriots because they've got two great running backs. They really do. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson, 76.4, Damian Harris, 69.9. But again, um, Damian Harris is one of the most underrated running backs in the league, in my opinion. I believe it was the last two years he graded in the top 10 in the PFF as far as running back grades. And Bill Belichick, there's nobody better than Bill Belichick in putting a game plan together. You never see Belichick get blown out. And the reason being is because he game plans so freaking well. I mean, this guy is just always prepared. He knows how to not only exploit another team's weakness, but also kind of accentuate the things that he his team does well. You know, Bill Parcells talked about in uh, in a uh, documentary, it was called uh, uh, Two Bills. And if you haven't seen that, it's a 30 for 30, I believe, um, done by ESPN. And it basically tells the the history between Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells and how they came up together and their the entire their entire careers were intertwined. And he said the thing that that Bill Belichick does well, this is Parcells talking, is he has this endless pool of players that he can pull from. It's just like when somebody goes down or he needs to fill a spot, he keeps such a strong database of players that he knows this guy right here is perfect for the situation we need him in. Let's go sign him. Let's go. Let's promote him. Let's elevate him. Um, it's just something he's done well his entire career. And, and it, it kind of comes from his dad, you know, his dad, Stephen Belichick actually, from what I understand, created a uh, more or less a, a handbook on how to scout NFL players, how to grade NFL players, I should say, like a grading scale system that's used all across the league today, at least in some form or fashion. It was, it has morphed into what modern uh, NFL teams use. And Stephen Bel- Steve Belichick was the one that kind of came up with that. That's his approach to grading players, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be ready to go. Um, yeah, it's uh, – I look at this point spread – the Packers are 10.5-point favorites. And if Mac Jones was healthy, um, I believe I mentioned earlier in the week that the Packers were already six-point favorites before Mac got hurt, okay? So the fact that it jumped to 10.5 really tells me, and Vegas knows, guys, Vegas has the inside information. That tells me that Mac's not going to play. And they're keeping that injury status close to the vest. And, and again, I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but all signs are pointing to Mac Jones is not going to play. So that means it's going to be Brian Hoyer playing quarterback. We have got there. This is the week that you sell out to stop in the run. It does not matter how good these receivers are. Brian Hoyer is the one throwing the ball. Trust me, I'm a closet Patriots fan. Some of you know that, some of you don't. Some of you just cut the podcast off. I get it. I completely understand. But I love watching history. And Bill, as long as Bill Belichick's coaching, I'm going to keep my eye on the Patriots because I just – 
I think there's so much to learn from what I believe is the greatest coach to ever do it. I really believe that. And, uh, yeah. So when you, when you look at how he does things and, uh, and from that standpoint, it's like, there's so much to be learned. Um, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for green Bay to go in and get a win. That's not going to be an easy victory in new England. It's not, it's, I don't care what anybody says. There's going to be things happen on Sunday that we go, God, why do we have to be in this? You, it, it, What amazes me is I hear fans every week talk about it. It's like, how do we always – why do we never put them away? Or why do we always do this? Why do we never – it's the National Freaking Football League. That's why. Everything that you expect to happen, all you can do is be as prepared as possible. But to think that we all know what's going to happen every Sunday to the point where we're not surprised is just silly. That's what makes this the greatest sport, the greatest league on the face of the freaking earth, right? So uh, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. You know, what stands out? Let's bounce back to the team grades for New England, right? On the defensive side of the ball, the thing that stands out to me the most is their, uh, you know, really it's inconsistency. I'm trying to find the one or two things. It's like, okay, this is what they do well. But they have a very up-and-down approach here. I mean – defensively their best game was against the Pittsburgh Steelers a 68.2, but the very next game it dropped down to a 47.5, right, there against Baltimore. Now, granted, um, Lamar Jackson is having an MVP season right now. Uh, in my opinion, it's coming down to Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and um, – uh, God, I can't believe I can't think of his name – Josh Allen in Buffalo. Those are the three quarterbacks that's really separated themselves in this early NFL season, right? So – it's not surprising to me that they had such a low defensive grade. And then when you look at the Green Bay Packers and what they've done, you know, points per game, um, I think Baltimore is definitely off to a much, much, much hotter start on the offensive side of the ball than the Packers. So it's going to take a, a big turnaround for the Packers to, to be able to win by that 10.5 points that Vegas has kind of got out there as a line. But, again, on defense, when it comes to consistency – I think the thing that the, the Patriots have done the best is pass rush. And some of you are going, oh, my God, please don't say that, right, especially after after that performance against Tampa Bay because the, the offensive line graded out horrible against Tampa Bay. You know, Ryan was talking about it. Um, I think Elton Jenkins ended up being our highest-graded player, and I really keyed in on him all Sunday, and he did not have a good game. I think, he's, I think he ended up grading out in the 60s, which is about where I had him. I I, I just looked at him and was like, yeah, this is not going to be a 70s or 80s performance here. He just got spun around a lot, did not look look comfortable yet. So that's going to be the big thing to game plan against as far as the New England Patriots. You know, when it comes to run defense, a 67.7, 67.3, 35.8, um, maybe we can run the rock. Maybe we can stick with the run and take advantage of those uh, edge rushers for the Patriots being more aggressive. Now, I do know this. Aaron Rodgers has had a lot of success against Bill Belichick. That's something that's always stood out to me every time they went head-to-head. I remember there several years ago, Patriots came into Lambeau, and Aaron Rodgers just absolutely cut Bill Belichick's defense apart, which is kind of odd, you know. Of course, Belichick really, really dominates against younger quarterbacks, and you're not going to fool Aaron Rodgers for the most part. You know, he may not get protection. He may be off on one day as far as accuracy, but it's very, very seldom you're going to outsmart Aaron. That's why he's one of the GOATs. So um, on the defensive side of the ball, though, their highest-graded defensive player was Jonathan Jones, 85.6 defensive grade, a 90.4 coverage grade for the cornerback. Jonathan Jones is number one um, in PFF at his position at cornerback. Okay, so you're talking about – arguably the best cornerback in this young season in the entire football, uh, National Football League right now. At number two, at an 80.9 defensive grade is uh, Dietrich Wise Jr. This is a guy that was a draft pick that they've been bringing along. And when they signed Matthew Judon, it kind of stunted his growth a little bit. Well, now he's playing opposite Matthew Judon that since they traded away uh, Chase Winovich, I believe it was last year, they traded him to maybe – Cleveland, or it might have been this offseason they traded him. So now Dietrich Wise Jr. is getting his opportunity, and he's taking full advantage of it. 80.9 defensive grade. His pass rush grade is an 80.4 so far this year, this season. So that's one you got to really, really watch for there. 147 snaps, too. So that's not a small sample size. At number three, defensive lineman, um, Ikale, I think is how you say it, 69.3. So you get a drop off there, guys. You get two players that are playing borderline elite there with Jonathan Jones and then Dietrich Wise Jr. Um, and then you get a drop-off all the way to 69.3, and even he only had 16 
uh, defensive snaps. Okay. Up next, you got an edge defender in Anthony Jenkins. Uh, 68.7 defensive grade. His run defensive grade's a, a lot better at a 76.4. Really sets the edge nice. Pass rush grade's down, though, at a 51.4. And only had only seen 22 snaps, too. So when you get down to Matthew Judon, who is one of those players that I would consider a playmaker for them, um, he grading out at a 66.1 right now. Um, run defense is a 51.2. So you can see they're really, really vulnerable on the edges there in run defense. To me, that looks like the weak spot for this Patriots defense. And you're seeing it across the league. We were talking about it, you know, the last several podcasts, that the league is kind of shying away from really worrying about playing the run, right, or at least doing it in a manner that's that's kind of um, dictating whether the offense can run their, their uh, you know, their game plan or not. That just seems like the approach that defenses are taking is, is pushing them out of that and making them pass – and, uh, and trying to stop the pass, but at the same time um, containing the run. There's some teams that do that well. But uh, when I look at these PFF grades, to me the glaring weakness for attacking the New England Patriots is definitely attacking the edge and the running game. And I had it in my game plan against Tampa Bay that we need to run the ball outside. We need to take advantage of the fact that they're in that 34 front and see if we can get outside the tackles. Lo and behold, the Packers did not do it. And I really, really believe that's why the running game struggled on Sunday. I do. But Matthew Judon, I mean, he is an edge defender. And the, and the highest part of his great his game right now is a 77.1 in coverage. I mean, he's seen a lot of snaps, uh, 144 snaps, right? He's only seen three coverage snaps. So, I mean, he's grading out pretty poorly right now. So they're not playing good football, which you can kind of see that every Sunday. They're, they haven't been the Patriots of old. So – when I look at those grades, guys, like I said, everything screams run the rock. Run the rock. Make sure you uh, you get some extra protection on Dietrich Wise Jr.'s uh, side or at least allow Aaron to uh, make sure he keeps his eyes on him a bit because he can blow the game plan up and try to stay away from Jonathan Jones if, all, if at all possible. Jonathan Jones is definitely playing good ball. Um, I don't think they follow. To the best of my knowledge, it seems like when they had Stephon Gilmore, he did just line up on one side of the field, although they did play a lot of man coverage. Maybe he did follow. It's, that's what's so great about Bill Belichick is he changes things up so often. That's something that Belichick has always done really well is he's always been willing to adapt. You know, the, the, the clip that stood out to me or stands out to me to this day was when he played in the Super Bowl there and was coaching against Sean McVay in his uh, very first Super Bowl appearance there, you know, when they when they lost to the Patriots. And when they made it the 50-yard line pregame, he said, man, coach, this is Sean McVay talking. He's like, the way that you're, you're able to adapt and evolve every single week and change your offense to just – I mean, you can go one week from a spread offense to the next week a power run offense. He's just that good at it. And, of course, Belichick being the guy he is and how he downplays compliments, he just kind of downplayed it and went on, you know. But um, one thing about it, uh, this Patriots team is is going to be prepared. They're always prepared. Any Belichick coach team is going to be prepared to give you their A game for sure. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I see that stacking up. Now let's do this. Um, let's kind of look into the numbers a bit as far as scoring offense and defense, okay? The New England Patriots are 25th in scoring offense in the in the in uh, across the league in the NFL. They're only averaging 16.7 points per game, okay? Their defense is 22nd, allowing 23.7 points per game. So you can see, guys, they're towards the bottom. They're definitely in the bottom half, right? They're not They're not in the cellar, but they're in the bottom half of the league in both offense and defense as far as points scored and points allowed. From the Packers' standpoint, we are 27th in uh, offensive points scored, right, at a 16.0. So for all of the Packer fans, and there's not a lot, but there's a few out there going, oh, the Patriots suck, they're not the Patriots. Okay, well, they're better than us on offense right now. <laughs> Last time I checked, it goes in the win-loss column by how many points you score, right? And they're they're having a little bit more success than us. Now, is it, am I sitting here saying that we can't beat the Patriots? Absolutely not. Obviously, 10.5-point favorites, that's a huge freaking line. I mean, that's a huge line. Every now and again, Vegas might have a wild card out there where they want to shake the books up a little bit. I don't I don't necessarily think that's what this is. I feel like the Packers should be heavily favored. And obviously coming off that big road win against Tampa, they the Packers know that nobody expected them to beat Tampa. 
I really believe that. So now they're going to New England going, you know what? We're playing with the house's money now. Let's play loose. Let's go in and get this dub. And we come out of this first four-game stretch looking really, really good at three and one, right? And that's the goal. If you're going to win, you know, if you're going to win 13 games, then you got you got to go three and one on each quarter of the season. And uh, from like I said, from the Green, Green Bay standpoint, offensively, 27, 16 points per game. But here's the big number. Defensively, the Packers are sixth in defensive points allowed, 15.0 points per game. Guys, that's solid. This is the best defense that I've ever seen the Packers have. It's early. It is early. Don't get me wrong. But, man, things are looking really, really nice. And it seems like when one facet of the defense struggles, another picks them up. And it's all about bending and not breaking, right, and allowing the special teams to improve as they have. And the defense just – I mean, it, it, Ryan said it best on his podcast a couple of days ago immediately following the game. Tampa Bay never had good field position. They were playing from behind the eight ball the entire game. Invisible yardage, the Packers ran away with it. And what I mean by invisible yardage is when you gain those yards, you know, when you punt the ball, that those yardage, those yards that you gain, that doesn't show up on total yards. So Mike McCarthy used to dub it invisible yardage. And it is very, very, very important. Very important. Right. So the special team shows up like they did continues to play consistent. They don't even have to have as good a game as they did against Tampa. But if they come out and play, you know, somewhere in the ballpark that they had in Tampa and this defense shows up, then we can lean on the run and win this game the same way we won against Tampa. Now, would I love to see the Packers come out and absolutely boat race the Patriots? 100%, man. What what a what a great thought that would be, right? But again, it's Belichick and it's very very seldom that Belichick gets blown out. However, this is the point I want to uh, I want to mention here. I've been doing some studying on online today, or yesterday I should say, and it's looking to me like Mac Jones is going to be out four to six weeks. You know, when I first heard it, and then I heard Mac Jones at his press conference say, "You know, I'm going to let Bill answer that question. I'm going to let Bill answer that question." I thought oh, maybe maybe he'll be ready to go. He seems like he's in pretty good spirits. But then I went back and watched the video, guys. When they carried him off the field. One of two things are true here. Either Mac Jones is soft as butter, or that was a nasty ankle injury. Because that dude looked like a scene from Saving Private Ryan. And I'm just being like, he looked like he was dying. And I was like, dang, was it that bad? I watched the replay. It looked pretty ugly, right? It's a high ankle sprain. And they're talking about how um, it may involve the same surgery that Tua Tungavailoa had at Alabama, which I think they called a tightrope uh, surgery, if I remember. I think that's the I think that's the terminology they use. And they're saying if that's the case, and it's going to be four to six weeks, but one thing's for sure, I, I'm about 99% positive that Mac Jones is not going to play in this game on Sunday. I, I would be very, very surprised if he plays in this game on Sunday. So now you insert Brian Hoyer. Well, guess what that means? You remember that game last year where the Patriots and the Buffalo Bills play? I think it was on Monday Night Football, and there were like 40 to 50-mile-an-hour wins. And the Patriots, I think they didn't throw a single pass. If they did, it was like one or maybe two passes, and they beat the Buffalo Bills. I think you're going to see that game plan this week. I mean, when you look at it, you can bet your keister that Bill Belichick has looked at the tape already and seen that Green Bay's run defense is weak. Now, granted – they seem to show up pretty good against Tampa, in my opinion. And I don't even remember what the the team grade is. I, you know, I, I closed that tab out already. I apologize for that. But you know, like Ryan was pointing out, I think they only had like thirty some yards rushing. I mean, it's it's hard to beat that, right? So, but at the same time, I guarantee you, Belichick's looking at that and going, "All right, look, let's line it up and let's run heavy." I think you're going to get a lot of heavy sets. A lot of people don't know that New England changed their offensive scheme up, scheme up this year. This was the game I was looking most forward to game planning against because I know New England just as good as I know uh, the Green Bay Packers, and I really wanted to draw up the game plan because, I, like I said, I studied Belichick and his coaching staff. They recently went to the wide zone running system, the same system that we run, probably several different wrinkles involved, but they have been a power run offense for a long time in New England. And they just switched it up, completely switched it up this year. And that's why their offense has been struggling somewhat. And Mac Jones is really having a hard time 
grasping this offense. I mean, he has really, really struggled this year just turning the ball over. None of that matters, though. We got Brian Hoyer. Guys, the football gods are smiling down on the Green Bay Packers right now. I mean, the fact that we got Tampa and they were that banged up, and I know we were banged up too. I get it. You know, it's a foot, it's a National Football League that every team deals with it. But the fact that we got Mike Evans was suspended, Julio Jones didn't play, Chris Godwin didn't play. I mean, everything lined up about as good as we could ask it to. And then the very next week, during that game where everything lined up for the Green Bay Packers, the starting quarterback for our next opponent goes down. I don't know, man. It just kind of feels like we're getting a little bit of help from above. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And I'm here for it, man. Sign me up. Give me every break we can catch because this was one of those games, I believe I had this as a loss as well. I think I had Minnesota as a loss. I had Tampa as a loss. This was a win. When we went back and revised, I think I flipped Tampa and I flipped New England, which obviously turned out to be a push in the end as far as overall record. But uh, I thought this was going to be a tough game here. And I think it still could be because you got the GOAT on the other side. Bill Belichick's calling that, calling that other side. He's prepping these players during the week. I think it, it could turn into a dogfight. But, man, the fact that Mac Jones is missing this game, uh, and Mac Jones isn't a superstar, but he is an above-average – I think he is a good quarterback. Last year, he was the highest-graded rookie quarterback, according to PFF. Now, that was in the old system. This new system, I'm sure he's grading out pretty pretty bad, but it doesn't even matter because, I'm like I said, all signs are pointing to Brian Hoyer is going to be the starter. This stacks up very, very well for the uh, the Green Bay Packers. So that's what I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I just wanted to kind of look ahead at the New England Patriots and uh, do it in a little bit different manner because we didn't have as much time. I couldn't put together a specific game plan, but just wanted to kind of look at the numbers. So hopefully you come away from this podcast going, okay, here are the five players standing out for the Green Bay Packers so far this year on offense. Here are the five on defense, the team as a whole. Here's where we've been consistent. Here's where we've been inconsistent. Here's what we can improve on from the New England Patriots standpoint. Here's what their team grades look like. Here are their top uh, playmakers on offense. Here's their top playmakers on defense. And just kind of give you a little bit better idea of what we need to look for as far as this game on Sunday. So, I think the key is you got to stop their run, man. Two of their best players is very similar to ours. It's their running backs. I think this could be one of those games that turns into a uh, a heavy a heavy run game, controlling the clock. It's definitely going to come down to uh, protecting the football. And Mac Jones has struggled. He's turned the ball over like crazy. That would have been a positive as far as you know the Green Bay Packers coming in and, and looking to win the turnover battle. But I I can't imagine Brian Hoyer is much better. He's he's honestly he's got to be worse at protecting the football. So let's go in. Don't make the mistakes. It's probably going to be another boring win if we do come out with a dub, and I'm totally cool with that because I would rather go into week uh, week five with a three and one record off a boring win than to go in two and two because we try to get cute and, and flashy, right? So stay away from Jonathan Jones, arguably the best corner in the game right now as far as this early season, how well he's played. Make sure you protect the edge against Dietrich Wise Jr. Make sure you get an extra hat over there. At least be aware of what the matchup looks like on that side of the ball. Hopefully Bach plays a few more extra snaps this game, but I really I, I got to give kudos to uh, uh, credit to, to Matt LaFleur for uh, his coaching staff and, and pulling the trigger and making the call to say let's just let's rotate Yash and Bach in and out. Man, did I feel like it worked really well. I thought Yash played okay. I haven't looked at his PFF grade, but nothing really stood out to me where I felt like he got beat. And and the thing, too, in that heat, you know, getting Bach out for his first start, you know, in so long, um, you know, the fact that he didn't have to get completely exhausted in that heat and worry about getting injured, you know. Uh, furthermore, is uh, it's pretty awesome, man. Pretty awesome how things turned out. So if I had to guess here, I would say the Packers win by five or six points. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now with Brian Hoyer at the helm. If for some miraculous reason Mac Jones plays, I could see it being a little bit closer, maybe a two- or three-point game. But I'm feeling really good about the Packers going four and one, but again, or three and one. But again, guys, any given Sunday, any given Sunday, anything can happen, right? You can't overlook them. Got to go in, like I said, protect the edge from Dietrich Wise Jr., 
don't take your eyes off of uh, Matthew Judon either because Matthew Judon can be a stud. He was one of the better pass rushers last year. Make sure you're uh, you're cautiously um, attacking in the in the passing game, especially when it comes to Jonathan Jones' side of the ball, and uh, keep those special teams buttoned up. Let's run the rock. I think we can come out of there with the dub. So that's all I got. I want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We really appreciate you taking time. And again, thank you guys for uh, for being patient with me this week. As I said, like like I said, as we get ready to leave town, things are going to be a little bit hectic. But I'm really excited about Thursday's show. I'm going to put a Chalk Talk segment together, and we're going to break down some All-22 film. That'll be broadcast on YouTube, but also in podcast form. We'll do the best we can to explain to you what we're seeing on the field. The whole purpose of those Chalk Talk episodes, guys, is not for me to try to sound smart. Uh, you can hear my accent. No, I'm not smart. <laughs> but the goal is I want everybody, myself included, that when we hear people talk about this offense – and how complex it is and how the motion really distracts people and, and causes all these wrinkles to kind of unfold and give the Packers a, an offensive advantage. I want to be able to dive a little bit deep into specific plays so we get a little bit better understanding of what exactly is going on in the field rather than just seeing the highlights and thinking, okay, yeah, they're playing good or, okay, they're playing bad. Um, I know this, Alan Lazard was a monster against Tampa Bay, and I'm going to sneak a couple of those clips in the chalk top. You can bet your butt on that. Because uh, he was capping. I, I know three plays at least where he blindsided people and absolutely took their freaking head off. And that's why you heard Aaron Rodgers say that in the press conference that Alan Lazard does so much for this offense, so much that a lot of people don't recognize. And after watching the All-22, the early All-22 that got leaked out, I was like, oh, my God, this dude is a tight end in a wide receiver's body. And uh, there's nothing better than watching somebody sprint completely across the field after running just kind of a, kind of an arrow or maybe a maybe a slant. Uh, it, it somewhat looked like a crosser, but it was more of a straight line than a crossing route. And then as soon as he realized uh, uh, Randall Cobb made a catch on a smoke call, I mean he just beelines to the closest DB and takes his head off. Uh, Lizard King on fire yesterday, man. So or uh, the day before yesterday, it's just. Is awesome to see. So I'm sure you'll get a few of those clips in the Chalk Talk segment too. So I'm out of here, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.